Please remain standing for the scripture reading this morning. Our sermon text is John 8, 31 to 47. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. <clears throat> they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn to John chapter 8, John chapter 8. While you're turning there, let's go ahead and pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, just as Ezra opened up the law and began to read, and just through the proclamation of your word, lives were transformed and, and hearts were made new. And they were transformed and people were changed and they glorified you and they worshipped you, God. Along with them, God, we, we ask that your word would bring us to cry out that your glories that your glorious name would be blessed and exalted, and that you alone are the Lord God, that you have made the heavens and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, God, the seas and all therein. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. 
You are the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And you gave him the name Abraham. And you found his heart faithful before you. God, just as the reading of the word invariably changes people for whom your affection has been placed upon, we just so humbly now, we come to you and ask that your word would transform our hearts, that we would see that you are the God who has created all things, the seas and all therein, and that we would worship you and glorify you. Amen. Amen. All of us have chapters in our lives, some of you more chapters than others, chapters in our lives that we wished to not be published. And this is even true of our families. We have Little secrets in our families. And when you have kids that are two, three, four, and five, you don't have a, a lot of certainty, but you might have a little bit of hope that those family secrets actually stay family secrets. Rachel doesn't even know this, but one of ours, secrets of our family, is that when I was born, my father owned slaves. And whatever you're thinking, it's actually far worse. It wasn't just here in America, but it was in Thailand, in China, anywhere. And they would do the most insidious things. Murder, rape, anything. Everywhere they went, they destroyed it. But it wasn't just my father. That was your father, too, when you were born. We're not born children of God. We're born children of wrath. We're not born basking in the light of God, but rather we're drawn to the darkness. We're born into the darkness, and we love it. We're not free, but we're in bondage to slavery and sin. We are slaves to sin, joyfully serving the most cruel of all masters. When I was born, my father was the devil, and I joyfully did anything he had me to do. So you have to ask yourself are you free? Are you free at all? Or are you still a slave? So what we're going to see in our text here, that was just read for us, is that it is through Christ and it is through Christ alone that we are free. There's no other way that it's going to happen. It's only through Christ that you will be made free, that you will even want to be free. It's only through Christ. So how does this happen here? Verse 31 through 33, uh, you abide in the word, abide in the word, in the word of Christ for freedom. Second, we're going to be looking at this. What does it mean 
How does this happen that we're actually a slave to sin? What does that look like in my own life? And then very briefly, if we have time, we're going to be looking at how we do the will of our Father. Rounding out the end there, verses 39 through the end. How is it that I do the will of my Father? Either the will of my Father, the devil, whom they, they're born under, Christ clearly says, you're of your Father, the devil. Inherently they do his will. Or Christ, God, my heavenly Father. Now I desire to do his will. So we're going to be seeing that through Christ, in Christ alone, we have our freedom. Let's go back to the text here and read verse 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, we will, we will become free? Just recap here, Christ is continuing to speak at this, this festival of booths that is happening here. And what's a um, brief recap where we've been. We have the cycle of this, um, where Christ has been in Cana. We have the wedding in Cana. And then also the healing of the official son in John chapter 4. And in between here, we have this Christ exchange with Nicodemus and the encounter with the Samaritan woman. That's kind of the Canaan uh, bookends. Now we're kind of entering into this festival. We have the unknown festival. And now we're going to be in the festival of, festival of booths here. And in between, Christ has fed the 5,000. He's walked on the water. He's had... The disciples professing and proclaiming, you have the words of life. Where else am I going to go? I know it's hard, but where else am I going to go? And now here we're at the festival of booths again. And you see it's John's so beautifully subtle way. If you want to know how to read gospel narrative, here's another way. Look for the subtle hints, right? So you have this feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness. Water into wine. The multitudes following him. Christ having the words of life, not the word of the law, but the words of life. This is John's subtle way of saying that Christ is greater than Moses. The author of Hebrews, he's just going to say it. He's going to say, for he, Christ, has been counted worth uh, more glory than Moses. He'll just say it. This is gospel narrative. Look for the subtle things of what's being communicated. So then now, we've seen that Christ is greater than Moses. Now this week and next week, we're going to be looking at how Christ is even greater than Abraham. So let's look at the text here. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. It's a tricky one, right? Because they believe in him and then... Pretty soon, they're going to be told that your father is actually the devil. So there's two ways of looking at this. Either these people actually do believe and they continue in their belief. And when Christ is talking to them, he's actually now turning and addressing the Pharisees. That's one option. What I would contend, what I might say is that they do believe 
in the sense that many had followed Christ through the wilderness. You want to feed them? Yeah, yeah, we'll follow you. You get to the difficult stuff, and so many of them turn away. In the same way, what John is saying is, if you believe, if you abide in my word, looking forward in the Christian life, don't, compare, don't confuse that with the looking back. Looking forward, yes, we must. We must continue in the faith. We cannot turn away at all. Looking back, we're going to go, oh, there was Christ the whole time. Absolutely. But as we're looking forward, perspectively, this is what John is warning us about. Even those who do believe, even those who are able to hear the words coming out of Christ's mouth, they too must continue in the faith. This, by the grace of God, this faith, it happens at one specific moment in our lives, but it must continue on. And if you find yourself thinking again and again only about that one specific time when it began because your spiritual state now is deplorable or dry, or non-existent, you should be very concerned. This text is for you. It should make you uncomfortable. Don't be continually looking back, but have a faith that is thriving enough that you can continue in moving forward. So, Jesus said to the disciples who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Just notice the flow here that starts with this conditional if statement, then three more dominoes are going to fall, right? If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How is this all starting here? This abiding in the word of Christ. To abide in the word of Christ doesn't have the idea that we put the word inside of us. No, no, no. As though the word is subservient to us. And that it will move as we dictate or as we want. No, no. To abide in the word of Christ is to put ourselves into the word. Fully submersed. Shaping us and moving us where it will. We're not putting just the word in us. No, we're putting all of ourselves into the word. It is there that we live and there we remain. And it's easy for us to think that this discipleship doesn't carry any responsibility, right? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And it's easy to think that this doesn't carry any responsibility with it, that the fulfillment of our own desires is surely going to be enough. Can't I even just abide in my own desires and my own will? No, 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 absolutely not. If you're not abiding in the word of Christ, If you are not, you're not his disciple. You don't have the truth, and you're in bondage. 
You have nothing. You have absolutely nothing. And this is in the natural flow of the conversation, right? Christ has just been telling them. I do nothing in my own initiative, but I speak as the Father has taught me. Even Christ is saying, I don't do what I want, I abide in the word of God. So how much more shall we be abiding in the words of Christ? He's not telling us to do something that he hasn't done. No, he's saying, as I do unto the Father, you do unto me. I abide in the words of God the Father. I do nothing of my own will, nothing of my own desires. Say in the same way, you, believers, abide in the word of God. And it is when you are abiding in this word of God that you are truly my disciples. You have no, you no longer have a life that is of your own. And, and you're happy about that. So, believer, or disciples, yes, you're truly my disciples if you abide in the word of God. You are my, truly my disciples and you have the truth. Where else are you going to find it? But in the word of God, in the words of Christ coming to you. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And then what's the result of this truth? Is that you are set free. You're set free from the dominion of sin and Satan. You're set free from the domain of someone else. And then placed under Christ. And you are truly free. If you don't think this is relevant for us, what is the cultural narrative that is happening? What are we being told again and again and again? Liberation and oppression. That we, we're not free and we must be made free. Vote for me. Buy this car. We're under, we're under a... We need to be liberated from our oppression, either racially, economically. We need to be liberated and freed from our moral standards. Go ahead. Cheat on your husband. Cheat on your wife. It's not a big deal, right? That's the narrative. That's what you're being taught. That's what your kids are being taught. They want to be free. I can't even be liberated from my own body, my own gender. I'm not going to be subservient to anybody. I will be free. I will now even determine when I die. That's not God's prerogative. No, I will determine when I take my last breath. They will stop at nothing and will do whatever it takes to be free. But here's the catch. There's always a catch. Here's the catch. In seeking to liberate ourselves, we only thrust ourselves then deeper into darkness and deeper into slavery and deeper into bondage. You cheat on your spouse, you really think you're free? You look at pornography, you think you're free? No. No. 
You can't defeat the master who is oppressing you when you love him. That's why freedom only comes in Christ. And it will only come in Christ. Let's go back to the text. Actually, let's reread verse 33 again. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, We will, we will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Notice the universal quantifier. Not, not, not just some, not a few. Everyone. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son. The son remains forever. So, if the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. You're Jewish. Yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. With their eyes on, on just the, the earthly horizon, they completely miss what Christ is teaching them and telling them. Freedom. Why would I need freedom? Freedom from what? Don't you know that we're, we're children of Abraham? Certainly that's enough. Well, our 17th century, our favorite 17th century English nonconformist reminds us that Christ spoke of spiritual liberty, but carnal hearts feel no other grievances than those that harm the body or distress their worldly affairs. And he goes on. It says, basically, the, the preacher can talk all day long about the worldly injustice or the world coming in and prying away our homes and peering in and taking away our privacy. And our homes are being assaulted. When the preacher talks about that, all of the churches will resound with amens and amen and amen. But tell a man, not of bondage to the world, but tell a man about the bondage of his soul, their captivity to sin, Satan, as him being the master, and the wrong that has been done to their precious souls. And there will be nothing more than static noise in their ears. Freedom. What freedom? And they even said, we've never been enslaved. Never. To anyone. In verse 33. Really? What about those brief, very quick 400 years in Egypt? Really? You don't see that? Ten of your 12 tribes are carried off with the Assyrians, never to be found again? Really? Did you miss that? What about your 70 years in Babylon? Oh, yeah. Really? 
What about the Seleucid and the Potomac empires ruling over you? What about Rome and their garrison right down the street, right beside the temple? What about that? Oh, no, we've never been enslaved to anyone. We clearly, we have an inability to see the, the slavery that they, are, that they are under. They didn't see it. And you know what? We're no different. And you put someone in prison and you slide that big iron door shut and it clanks. And they know they're, they know they're locked up. The young African boy digging in mines at this very moment, whom you should be praying for. He knows he's a slave. He has to do what he's told. It's incredibly obvious to them. He has no choice to do but that which is demanded of him. But here's what's so insidious. Those who are practicing sin, they're slaves just as much, even more. But they don't even know it. They don't even know it. They think they have two choices. And they'll just maybe sin next, next time. But we're, we're blind. We're completely unaware of our own um, servitude that we're under. And not only that, but we love it too. We're slaves and we love it. We're blind. And we love our master that wants us to die and go to hell. The Christian will yell out from the depths of his soul, wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of death. That's the Christian, the man who is unregenerate. says, I'll have another. The Romans, when they settled their city, they were just a cadre of men. First thing you do, obviously, is build a wall, which led to one of the co-founders of Rome being killed, and they build their wall and they begin developing as a city. But what ended up happening with Rome is that with the people that came to them were just outlaws. They didn't have a place in the other cities or the other kingdoms around them. So they would come to Rome. So you get, a, you get a wall built and your things are getting settled. But you have these bunch of this cadre of outlaws now begin looking around them. And they go, where's all the women? We don't have any women. So, you invite the Sabines over. And you have this great festival and this great party. And Romulus, when everybody's just had enough, or probably more than enough, Romulus, he takes off his cloak, folds it up, unfolds it, and puts it back on. And that's the cue. All of the Roman men who withheld from the drinking then take and capture these Sabine virgins and bring them for in within the city and then expel everybody else who's now drunk and unable to fight back. And of course, the Sabines, what does this do? It starts a war. You take our virgins, you mutilate our children, we're going to burn your city down. We don't care now, but that's what they said. And you have this war that's then going on. And the city of Rome is about to fall in its infancy. They're, they're, they're about to come and go up Capitoline Hill. 
and the walls are about to be breached, and then who comes? The women. The women come out. The slaves, they come out and they say, no, no, no. Our fathers, our brothers, I, we know that you're fighting for us. But no, we actually, we love it here. Don't rescue us. Actually, you know what? Why don't you come settle in with us? And that's what happened. And the Sabines come and then settle in the new city of Rome. Brothers and sisters, how often have we been doing the same thing? The freedom of Christ and in Christ is right before us. But given the chance of being free, we're going to turn back every time apart from Christ working in us. We look at that story and go, you're foolish. What are you doing? But look at your own heart. It's the same story again and again and again. So then how is it if the Son sets you free that you are free indeed? Well, it's, it's rooted in the fact that you always have and you always will do the will of your Father. Let's go look at verse 39 here. Let's read 39 and 40. And they answered him, Abraham, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would have been doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So what are, who are they looking to? They're looking to Abraham. Thinking that it's from the well of the forefathers that the living water flows. But not only is that well dry, Abraham is not the fount of living water. Not only is that well dry, but they can't even get there. For Abraham himself, he was saved by faith. Abraham didn't look to anybody else. Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see in Genesis 15, 6. You're saying you do what your father does. Christ would say, yes, you do. You do the will of your father. You're not doing what, what Abraham did. You're doing the will of your father, but you're not doing the will of Abraham. When I told Abraham to leave, it was by faith that he left and started walking. Where is he going? He didn't know, but he just left and went to the land of Ur. Sacrifice your firstborn son of the promise? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Even as Christ, I believe, appeared before Abraham in Genesis 18, before the destruction of Sodom, Abraham responded in faith by giving them hospitality. But their deeds, by their deeds, they will be known. They are seeking to kill. They are seeking to kill Christ. And thus they are. They absolutely are, just like you and just like me. They are doing the will of their father. But Abraham, Abraham is not their father. So in verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. 
For I came from God and I am here, but I came not in my own accord, but he sent me. You notice the tie here. If God were your father, you would love me. They're inseparable. God the Father in Christ. To love one is to love the other. And you're not going to love God except through Christ. Yet there's billions of people all around the world who say, yes, I love God. Maybe that's something you right here, right now. Yes, I love God. I love the idea of God. But Christ, I want nothing to do with him whatsoever. That's like saying, I love marriage. I can't stand my wife. But I love the idea of marriage. No, you don't. You hate marriage. And you evidence that by the fact that you hate your wife. You despise your wife. Don't tell me that you love marriage. Why, you despise your wife. In the same way, don't be blind and don't tell yourself that you can love God unless you love Christ. They are all tied together. What do we do? Number one... Observation from the text here. Speak with absolute boldness and clarity. Christ is standing before these people and he is willing for the sake of their souls to tell them that they do not believe and actually that Satan is their father and that they are doing the will of Satan, not their heavenly father. With absolute clarity and boldness. Christ is willing and Christ does speak for the sake of the souls of others. Let our witness in this city have the same boldness and have the same clarity that others might hear this truth of Christ. That's number one. Speak with great boldness and clarity. Number two. Look at our first verse. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Abide in the words of Christ. Abide in the words of Christ. Put yourself into the word. Submerse yourself into the word. Swim within the word. Live there. When someone asks you where to live, you better start pointing to this book. These people are my people. Their hope is my hope. Their faith is my faith. Their Lord is my Lord. And where they are now, I shall soon be there. Abiding in the word and the works of Christ forever. So number one, speak with boldness and clarity. Two, abide in the works of Christ. The word of Christ. Number three, live out your freedom. Live out your freedom that you have in Christ. Is there any greater joy than a slave who has been set free? Abs no, absolutely not. But how many of us are like our Hebraic brothers and sisters, craving the leeks and the onions from the land of slavery, wanting to go back to the land of bondage and slavery, even though we've been set free? The sin that entices you, my friend, it is not your friend. It wants to destroy you. It wants to kill you. It wants you in bondage and in slavery. Do you really think that you're missing out on the joys of slavery? Of your former life? That's what you're missing out on? Oh, no. Not at all. 
Christ has come and he has come to set his people free. And his pouring blood is the torch that cuts the chains off our feet and cuts the chains off our hands and cuts the chains off of our hearts. And this whole world of God's goodness is now before you. Once you were, you were incapable of loving, but now you're free to love. And you can do it. Living out the will of your heavenly Father. Once you're incapable of being generous, but now you're free. You're free to be generous. Giving all that you can so because you know that God, your heavenly Father, will provide for you. Some of you are free to be joyful. Believe it or not. You're incapable of doing this. But now you are free to do it. Knowing that you are a new creation. And any trials that might befall you are, what, are they the temporal at best? They will pass. So through the work of Christ, we are unburdened. You are unburdened from your sin and from your guilt. And shall you carry upon your back the sin that Christ has carried upon the cross? No. You are free. The work that Christ did upon the cross is, is more than enough, fully sufficient to remove that sin from you so that you are now free to not carry it around, but free. Free from the weight of sin and of guilt. Because as it says in verse 36, for if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Let us pray. Let us pray. Our righteous and just, our holy and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Son. That is through him that we have freedom. God, give us eyes to desire that. Let us not be enticed by the things of this world, thinking that we will find freedom and joy and fulfillment in anything else but Christ, God. Let us abide in your word. Live there. Swim in it. Dwell there, remain there forever. God, work in us that you would be glorified, God. Work in our hearts that we will truly, naturally just live out the will of you, our heavenly Father, of you, our, our true, eternal Father. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.